Welcome to episode 157. Here's a Boo Crew Fright Fact. In 1993's The Good Son, Michael Lehman, the original director, was replaced due to disagreements with Macaulay Culkin's father. Also, Macaulay's real-life brother and sister play his siblings on screen. Our favorite thing in the world, our absolute favorite thing in the world, is when you go over to Apple Podcasts and not only rate the show, it helps us tremendously. And not only that, it helps us connect with you that much more as we will read your review at the top of the show. Leo, who we got? We got one by The Gore Score. Writes, those introductions, though. (laughs) (laughs) By far, best horror podcast for interviews. First discovered you guys through Spencer Charnas. Love all the guests you guys have. We're always giving you guys love and shout out on our podcast. And I can't remember what episode it was, but I had to stop it in the middle just to go listen to Stabbing Westward. Oh, and geez. have since oh boy, put them in my everyday playlist. Oh, Hell yeah. I think, Chris- <laughs> I think this was like a trap to what? have you play this. What are you talking about? Oh, I don't hear anything. Oh, go on. Oh, my God. Leo, go. I think Chris Hall needs to- I think Chris Hall needs to be a guest soon. Keep doing what you guys are doing. It's perfection. Rating five stars. Yeah. Chris Hall, lead singer of what band? Stabbing Stabbing Westward. Yeah. The song that was on every single horror movie soundtrack in the 90s. So I think in my own head. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. All right. Chris Hall, Stabbing Westward. Oh what? my god It's the best It, it is yeah. It is But when he does it It's the well, best We gotta get the chorus on First so Leo just stall Did you say what rating? Five stars Let him go Let him go Oh my gosh I'm so Open sorry. it up Chris Let's do it I can't even save myself Woo Man Does this ever get me pumped up Leo, you feeling good? <coughs> wow. I'm, I'm oh my gosh. Thank you for that gore score. And we got to get Chris in here. Yeah, we got to get Chris in yeah. here, man. All right. Lauren, you got another one. I do. Dashing J Hot. Dope. I've been listening to this pod. Oh, I like pod. That's really cute. For a bit now, and and everyone who is a part of it is soothing as fuck. Oh my God, I love <laughs> Isn't this Isn't that person. great? I love that. Okay, you're amazing. Does that mean we have like lulling voices? Uh, did they just listen to like two seconds ago? Because that was not <laughs> soothing as fuck. Well, Sorry. maybe it means like, maybe soothing is not in that sense of the word. Maybe it just means maybe that cool. was soothing to them. All right. Know. Hey, I'll take it. I keep it. thinking of a pickup line. I keep thinking of like you know, hey baby, you like horror? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Okay. Soothing as fuck. Oh my god. <laughs> Moving on. I love horror, and I love learning about new things. Keep up the awesome work. Rating five stars. Yeah. Dashing J hot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Dope. Dope and pod. If you'd like to write our pod a dope review. Yeah. <laughs> I sound like that Paul Rudd video that was going around. Oh, today. yeah. That was fun. People to wear the mask. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, thank you so much for taking the time, Dashing J Hot and uh, the Gore Score podcast. If you want your review read on the show, stop by Apple Podcasts and drop us a line, won't you? This time around, singer, songwriter, composer, and electronic pop musician Bright Light 
Bright Light. He joins you to talk about his new album, Fun City, a time of release out this Friday. He's collaborated with everyone from Elton John to the Scissor Sisters, toured with Ellie Goulding to Cher. Two of his albums have reached the top 20 on the UK indie charts, and he is an absolutely massive horror fan. We had a great time we with really Bright Light, did. Bright Light. Man, we all yes, hit it off. Yeah. He knows yeah, his he's stuff, awesome. too. Yeah, He was yeah. showing us around his collection as well. He collects horror movie soundtracks and... You hear about his favorite films, the horror flick he got his name from, if you haven't figured that one out already, how horror movies inspire him, even including the writing of this most recent musical adventure. And it all starts now. The Boo Crew dusts a fright flick off the shelf for Ah! Horror Homework. All right, we're going to go around the room and around the World Wide Web all the way out to Leo in beautiful downtown Soothing as f- Oh my god right? No that was not <laughs> That was not <laughs> Where we're each gonna Highlight a horror flick To each other And possibly even to you That we consider a must see Or perhaps worth a revisit Starting not with Leo this time But with Lauren Ooh. and I Oh shit Flipping nice. the script Nice Look at that Nice <laughs> So we wanted to shine a light On a film we saw In preparation for a guest Who joined the show Last episode 156 From the incredible the Babysitter, Killer Queen, and the first film, The Babysitter, Judah Lewis, and a movie he did released last year, 2019, called I See You. Woo! Woo-hoo! Yes. Now, this, yeah. this movie also stars Oscar, Golden Globe, and Emmy Award-winning actor Helen Hunt. John Tenney's in this as well. Owen Teague, who you'd recognize as. Lauren, did you pick this up? I didn't even realize it till I looked through the credits again. No. He's one of the bullies from It. From the new It. Oh, shit, you're right. His yes. hair's just yeah, a little yeah, longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and uh, Lee Bay Bearer is also in this. It's directed by Adam Randall. It's the first film and first and only film written by Devin Gray. Most of his work is, in, is as an actor. He played teenage Dexter on Dexter and lots of other TV shows, including American Horror Story in 2012. So a series of strange disappearances are taking place in a small city, and the film focuses on a family in that very city. The father works for the local police who's investigating these occurrences. Judah Lewis plays Helen Hunt and John Tenney's son, and that's really all we're going to say about what this movie is about. That's it? Yes, because okay. it's in the journey that there's joy. Yeah. Leo, you seen this movie? Yes, I have. You gotta, you gotta go, go in cold. You gotta go in completely cold. Don't watch the trailer even. Yeah, I went in cold when I saw it. Well, I saw the poster and it looked like Nemo was on it. And that really interests me. It's not. It's kind of creepy that it looks like a fucked up Nemo, like maybe a dead Nemo. A couple short reviews that popped up when we were looking at this film that sold it for me instantly and got my interest right away. A person named Wonderful Life. An absolute amazing movie. The amount of twists and turns this takes will leave your jaw on the floor at the ending. I was like, this sounds really cool. Went to the next review. Kathleen McCug says, this movie sets things up to lead you to think it's going one way and suddenly hits you with a two by four in the best way possible. I came into the movie knowing very little and the less you know going in, the better. Also extremely well said, both little clips of these reviews. These are the first two things that I saw when I Googled the movie. Had me in like Flynn. Unbelievable. I could not call it. There's no way. I was just like, wait, what? And then again, I was like, wait, what? And it just kept my attention. Helen Hunt was fantastic. I love her. She's such a great actor. So this was really cool to see her in this role and in this space. And Judah always brings it. He was awesome. And just everybody, all the cast, it was great. What I love about Judah's performance in this is that he's a massive part of the magic trick here. If you're a fan of his work, you're going to love this completely other side of him. But he fucking is, kicks ass in the babysitter movies. Yes, he really Like, I does. love this dude. He's so great. You know what? He also kicks ass in the Christmas Chronicles. And he gets to fly around in Santa's sleigh with McCready from The Thing. Wow. <laughs> Stuntman Mike. That's right. Stuntman Mike. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. All right. Miles, Miles, we got Miles to go, Butterfly. Exactly. Well said. Go track down I See You. Where do we see it? Amazon Prime Video, I believe. Yep, that was it. Streaming at a television near you. Leo? I played a little Russian Russian roulette over here, and I went on Tubi, and I discovered this, like, you know, artwork, and I was like, oh, it's just this woman being, like, you know, engulfed by these 
tree branches and i'm like it's called the wood witch like i gotta check this out this movie's called the wood witch the awakening the wood witch the awakening wow what year was this do tell i've never heard of this 2020 so it just popped up like one of those things on tubi when you're scrolling through and it just came up and you're like wow yeah it was somewhere else at first and then i then i saw it on tubi and then i was like what's this and i'm really curious because the the artwork for that poster sold me i'm like that looks pretty cool and it's a little like evil deadish you know a little bit and then it's like okay the trailer shows a foursome headed to golden gate beach uh, then off into the woods on an island off the coast of Seattle in search of a mythical witch in the woods. It's a found footage movie. And, you know, I, I'm a sucker for that stuff. And, uh, you know, I'll watch anything found footage because, you know, there's some hidden gems in there, you know? And I thought, man, this, this, is, this should be a fun one. It's just four characters. They seem like they're, you know, mid-20s-ish, like, they have their head on straight. I want to see where the story goes. Well, <laughs> the movie, right off the bat, You get a disclaimer that reads, the following movie was edited together with real footage from the victims of the story and the television show, I Survived When Urban Legends Attack. So, I mean, it's like a fake show in a fake movie kind of thing? Right, right. Gotcha. So, this is, yeah, (laughs) okay. So, the movie plays out with the lore of something familiar. I was watching this and I'm like, what are they talking about? Like, when the lore gets revealed, you hear the story of Hela. And the Nordic curse and the coming back from the dead. And now I'm thinking, whoa, wait a minute. Now, if you watch Thor Ragnarok, you'll recognize the storyline being just that of Thor's sister, Hela. I'm really curious what chorus they're going to put on this, you know? I'm not going to re- reveal how it turns out and what goes on, but the, the movie starts off with a serious tone. The first half is a serious tone between these foursome. And then it gets really, really, really campy. Like, really, really, really silly towards the end. Like a comedy? Like intentionally? Yeah. So it's like it's at some point it just does a 180 and I'm like, whoa. You know, if you blink, you miss it because you're kind of like, okay, that's weird. The first, you know, was a like serious tone and all of a sudden it's like, God, they're having just way too much fun now, you know? And I must say that the creature, witch design and all that, really cool looking, but expect something way more campier. Sounds fun. Yeah, so this is interesting. It, yeah, it definitely ends on a different note than how it started. On that note, I got to say, I had fun watching this because I did not expect that. It, this is just one of those things you put on and you're just like, I just, I just gotta, I just gotta watch this because it's just, you know. <laughs> you just got him. Yeah. I had a good time. I had a good time with it. Uh, the movie stars Sidney Mitchell and Shannon Dowling, Juliana Ascarate, Ted Dowling. So, and it was written and directed by Courtney G. Jones. I'm really curious um, how this movie was put together because it definitely has a different tone from beginning to end. But I had fun watching it. So if you're interested in something different, something fun, very lighthearted, check it out. It's called The Wood Witch, The Awakening. And yeah, very special thing about this movie. It's hmm. a porn. What? <laughs> <laughs> what I missed that part. It was the post credit scene or something. I don't what? know. What? You, you looked all like suspicious, like special thing about this. Well, sure. Probably not. Yeah. You know what? I am super excited because I read today that Chris Landon is working on a title for the third Happy Death Day. No, yes. yes. Is it going to happen? Well, in hopes that it it has to. It's just like it's called Happy Death Day to Us, which is so awesome. That's like so perfect. That's amazing. And then have you seen the trailer for Freaky yet? It's great. Lauren was telling me about it. You know what? I don't want it. Like, I'm so looking forward. Like, I love Chris Landon's movies so much that I'm like saving it. You know what I mean? I'm saving it to go in. If I can, I want to wait to go in completely dark and just like be thrilled by the whole experience. You know, I want to save that for myself. But at the same time, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to wait. Oh my God. Because everybody's just freaking out. Even Scarlett saw it. Yeah. Stephen King is like, Vince Vaughn deserves an Oscar. Okay, yes. <laughs> Vince Vaughn is amazing, by the way. He is. He's great and everything, yeah. Yes, he, he's no, awesome. I'm so psyched, man. I love Chris. Yeah, and when, when Chris was uh, on our show last time, uh, he kind of teased it a little. He gave us a little quick, hey, you know, this is what I'm working on. And I thought, hey, that's a crazy idea. And I can't wait. <laughs> and sure enough, this trailer, oh, man. The trailer it, it, is so badass. Like, yeah, that yeah. and reading that there might be a third Happy Death Day is like saving 2020 right now for me. I'm excited. Don't say any more because I'm t- I'm trying to go in dark, man. Yeah. Oh man, 
I'm trying to go into our but I want to go and back. That comes, out, that comes out soon, right? I think uh, November. No- it's October. November. Oh, November, November. November. Yeah, that's right. November. November. I have it like marked on my calendar. I wanted to go back to the Woodwitch for a second and see if anyone can think of a special thing about the Woodwitch, Leo, that you're missing. Uh, was it filmed in quarantine? What the hell was that? <laughs> that track? was that was stabbing <laughs> okay. westward. Sorry about that. Oh, sure you are. Listening to it all day. <laughs> Leo, think hard. I, I am. I'm trying. It's how like how long? How right long now. is a movie? Oh, does he get a sweet scream? How long is a movie? Leo? Oh, it's. I think it's like seventy six minutes. It's an hour and sixteen minutes. Leo. Oh shit! Hour sixteen. Yeah. What does that? What does that mean? Qualifies for a sweet scream. Oh God. <laughs> Leo, get the bell out. Oh, God, no. Yeah! Wood Witch! Sweet Scream! Wood Witch! Oh, my God. You two are, like, embarrassing oh, sometimes. This is Bright Light, Bright Light, and you're listening to Boo Crew. No matter how much they beg, don't get them wet, and don't beat them after midnight. This was my house, and I was not supposed to worry about it. This was the place that I was not supposed to be in. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy studio is a creative force. A singer, songwriter, producer, and DJ. Beginning as a busker in London, his debut album, Make Me Believe in Hope, topped the Guardian Readers albums of 2012 upon its release. Named by Sir Elton John as the hottest new thing in music. The two collaborated on four songs and went on to play over 50 shows with each other. Our guests went on to perform alongside other luminaries like the iconic Erasure, Ellie Goulding, and Scissor Sisters on their sold-out UK tour. By the time his second album, Life is Easy, was released in 2014, he entered the UK charts. Following that up with choreography, written based on his love of dance sequences and some of his favorite movies, that album had him crashing into the US Billboard Top 20. As a renowned mixer and DJ, he's done work with Ministry of Sound, Glastonbury, numerous Pride events, and has collaborated on incredibly iconic club nights like Another Night in Dalston's Vogue Fabrics and Romeo and Michelle's Saturday Afternoon Tea Party in Brooklyn and at Alan Cummings' own Club Coming in Manhattan. He is a massive fan of film with a particular love of late 70s to early 90s horror and B-movies. His new album, Fun City, is out September 18th. He makes a cinematic synth pop that accomplishes what those great films he loves creates. It inspires, reflects, is whimsically poignant, and ultimately a damn good time. We are honored to welcome Bright Light, Bright Light. Yeah! (laughs) Yeah. I think that's the best introduction I've ever heard to anything oh my that goodness was, that was amazing oh, wow. like coupled with your like amazing like 80s movie voice <laughs> i i could have just listened to that like all day i was just like <laughs> in, a very, in a very different world Hello. wow that is very touching and thank you so much yeah. we absolutely <laughs> love what you do oh thank you I, I love what you do as well so that's Good, good we met. Let's start off at the top. <laughs> this, is, this is always a fun one. What are your earliest memories of being exposed to horror films? And is there a particular movie you might remember that impacted you and kind of gave you the bug? I think the first one that I really remember was Vamp with Grace Jones. Yeah! So I think that was the first time I'd ever seen Grace Jones. And I think I remember as a child, I thought that she was a vampire. And I was really into vampires as a kid. Like, I think I read Dracula when I was six or something like that. Um, I was super obsessed. And I thought that Grace Jones was like the most terrifying and wonderful, intoxicating thing that I'd ever seen in my life. She was like so fabulous. And so like all those neons, you know, everything, it's really informed me. And then obviously my artist name is from Gremlins as well, which is to some people a horror movie and to some people not. But uh, those, those are the two from the 80s, I think, that are like... The, the most prominent in my mind and uh, everyday speech. Sure. Do you have a favorite vampire movie since you love vampires? Ooh, oh my God, there are so many. For like a comedy one, Vamp. For a serious one, um, maybe The Hunger. Or for a sci-fi one, Life Force. Uh, or for like a traditional one, I have to say I really love Bram Stoker's Dracula, even yes! though... You I know, love that. That's one of my favorite movies. Like, I am British, and their accents are, like, fucking appalling. <laughs> and, they're like, I remember at the time, as a child, watching it, just being like, 
what is this and how did they get these jobs? But I still live for it and die for it. And I'm reborn for it. I just think it's amazing. Like the shadow work and like the scenery, just everything about it is so amazing. The and the Annie Lennox song, the costuming. Oh my oh. God. It's, it's really amazing. And can you imagine if you've done the costuming and you were like, that's the performance you're going to give in my amazing <laughs> costume. Like, who are you? <laughs> Have you seen uh, either Let the Right One In or A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night? I have not. Are they modern? They both put a, yeah, they both put a, like a modern twist on the vampire, you know, tale. But mm. uh, I was kind of curious, you know, if you've seen those because they're very, very different films, but they break all the vampire rules. So they're right. both movies that I highly recommend you check out. Okay. Yeah, I will make, I'll make a note of that. A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night is, uh, I believe, like a, a Muslim vampire who is a skateboarder and the film is like a black and white spaghetti western so it's just it's a total mashup of all these different genres it's a very yeah very uh beautiful beautiful film uh let's go to gremlins again Uh, as as you said a lot of people might not remember that scene but gizmo saying bright light bright light is obviously where bright light light got his name (laughs) (laughs) and you cover gizmo's theme quite excellently on cinematography three by the way yeah i love i think i'm a huge soundtrack on like score fan. So in the other room, I have like three shells of just horror movie scores. Um, and one of my favorites, like anything Jerry Goldsmith does basically, I think is incredible. Everything from like Chinatown to like gremlins to the weirder movies that he's done. That score really did open my brain, I think into what classical and electronic mishmash could do at the time. Cause it's so sequenced and it's using all of these gorgeous, like synthetic sounds, but Jerry Goldsmith composition is just so classical so it was like a real moment of like oh those sounds and that kind of melody don't don't normally go together in my brain and it it really um was a big big influence on my life when was the first time you noticed a musical world created in horror films probably with gizmo singing that little melody yeah i think because otherwise it's like very background or you have like the old hammer horrors where everything's like no 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 you know like but that, I think, was the first thing that sounded truly unique and that it was written to me for that moment in the film that became like the motif for the whole movie and franchise. I thought that was so clever and it was so beautiful. You know, for a horror movie, it's like a really beautiful, pretty little melody that's like infantile and then becomes like kind of horrendous animated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that something you noticed when you look at your list of some of your favorites from the 70s to the 90s in films like Dolls and Deep Red mm-hmm. and Tourist Trap yeah. and, and those kind of things, is that something that you noticed was prevalent in the scores of those horror films that there were these recurring motifs and a whimsy to everything? Is that something that... Yeah, I mean, I love the work of like Pino Donaggio, who is really known for like changing motifs throughout um, a film score. Like the one he did for Blowout, for example, is is my joint favorite movie score of all time. And that um, piano riff recurs throughout the film, like different speeds and tempos and uh, instrumentation. And I really love that. I love it kind of like, I love the idea of using a motif because it's like how you remember things throughout a movie and how things pop back up in your mind that you're like, oh my God, they did that earlier and they said that and that's why this is happening. Like doing that musically as well is such a cool idea that you don't even realize is happening. And then you're like, I got it. That's really, really cool. So like, it's like your your Easter eggs throughout a movie, you know, with, with the musical cues. I love it. The music of Bright Light, Bright Light is incredibly cinematic as well. And some great examples would be Transmission from I Only Want to Please You. Moves from Make Me Believe is also very Mm -hmm. visual. Kind of has you a wash and a digital Mm -hmm. bath at the beginning of that one. Especially when it comes to the era of the explorative electronic music of the 70s and and 80s and early 90s of sci-fi and horror. From a production and writing standpoint, how do you find that you've used that to fuel your inspiration and incorporate that into your own kind of sonic vocabulary and palette when it comes to your own music. I wanted to write songs that sounded like you could see them as well. So when I was listening to these movies scores growing up, they were so um, 3d to me that you can really like feel the colors and you can feel the characters when you're listening to these scores. So I love the idea of that and like playing around with how 
you could use not just the lyrics, but also the, the production, the, the kind of sounds that you choose to create the world around the songs. So like I tried to learn a lot. Before I made my third album, the choreography record, I went back and I rewatched all of my favorite movies and tried to work out what it was in the songs that I loved or the scores that like brought movies to life, which is why I ended up writing songs about like a dance sequence and mannequin. And that the transmission song actually is kind of based on the opening of murder rock or the dancing death, whatever you call it. So we recreated the dance sequence from that video and walked through transmitter park with like New York in the background. And I wanted to write like something that was super cheesy in eighties that like the, the director Keith Emerson might've written for that score and just kind of let myself go like full gross, you know, like it's gross. It's a gross piece of music, but it's like so eighties. I'm so proud of it. It's just, <laughs> it's horrendous. Um, like, yeah, I've, I've tried to learn from what they do that makes me so excited to rewatch a movie because I'm sure, you know, with like these 80s B movies, it's not really the movie or the plot or the acting that necessarily makes you want to rewatch them. It's something about like the, the experience of watching it. And for me, a lot of it is to do with the, the score. So I really, I really wanted to like get my listeners back with like a little production sound or like a harmony trick or something like that. That is really cool. How about recently? Any films that you think have taken you back to those times and have done what you're talking about? Yeah, In Fabric. Um, have you seen that? No. Oh, it's so good. I mean, the film is amazing. It's a bit flawed. So it's in, without giving anything away, it's in like two parts with like a story. The first part is amazing and the second part is fine, but the conclusion is incredible. And it has my favorite score of the last five years. Wow. I, like, I love it so much. It just came out on vinyl and I bought it the day it came out. I paid like obscene amounts of money for it to come to New York. And I play it absolutely all the time. It's this like weird baroque harpsichord led horror score that I go running to. Like, I'm so weird. I go running to old horror movie scores. And when I'm doing my emails in the morning, I put on like the Jaws soundtrack. That's stuff. great. Like, and my neighbors <laughs> nice. are always like, who is this murderer <laughs> next up to me? Um, I'm kind of here for it. But the, the In Fabric soundtrack, I think, is, is incredible. And the movie is really based, I think, on the director's love of old 70s, like porno horrors and, you know, like the kind of Argento school of nothing really happening, but you just think it's fabulous. You know what I mean? Like, in a lot of his movies, there are so many scenes where nothing really happens and then someone just inexplicably dies in a really brutal way. It's kind of like riffing on everything you love about those like exploitation horrors without it being as misogynistic as a lot of those films tend to be, you know? Did you get much into some of the other modern electronic scores that have been coming out, like Disaster Pieces work on It Follows, for instance, or... Uh, no, I haven't even seen It, Fol- it Follows. Wow, I'm useless with, so I know. Good. You would love it. <laughs> I know. I'm really bad with, with actually scary films, because I live alone. Sure. I love watching them with friends. And so, like, I have, like, a long list of films that I want to watch, like, with friends. Obviously, now it's a little bit hard because we're in quarantine. But I know that everyone talked about that score. I love the score for Get Out. I love this, actually love the score for Blade Runner 2049. I thought that was super cool. That was amazing. Oh, my God. And also Mika Levy's score for um, Under the Skin is one of my favorite modern ones. It's not a horror per se, but it's like, it's a, I, I've met her a couple of times. We used to do the, the festival circuits when she was doing her solo stuff. And she's, you know, bonkers, like a child genius kind of thing. And I had no idea she was doing these scores. And then I heard that soundtrack and was like, oh my God, this is like, it's wild. It's just, it's so good. It's wild. <laughs> you know what is an amazing score is Gretel and Hansel. That's your favorite. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, that movie came out, I guess at the tail end of last year, and it's a guy yeah. named Robin Kudair, who goes mm-hmm. by Rob, and he, he used to do a lot of work with the band Phoenix, and he did a number of scores over the past few years, one of which was Gretel and Hansel for Oz Perkins. The other was Horns. He did the Daniel Radcliffe, Alex Aja movie Horns, and he did his version of Maniac that was put out in 2012, and they're all, oh, like, the scores right. are so, so good. Yeah, the, I, that's on my watch list as well, because it's got that woman who's always the bitch in horror films, isn't it? Like, I forget the actress's name. She, she's in um, Silent Hills, like the mega bitch. 
And she's in a Ghost Story as well, which I love. And I love that score as well. I have that on vinyl. Yeah, well, speaking of that, a lot of the soundtracks you were inspired are now coming out on vinyl with amazing packaging yeah, like yes. Waxwork Records and people like that are putting the... Have you become much of a collector of all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm wild. I do have an insane... Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you. Yeah. I'm going to walk you through into the, the boudoir, which is otherwise known as uh, my, my other room. Yes, please and do. I will show you the insanity of my record collection. Ooh, um, I, I have been using like Mondo and Waxwork and who's it? Death Waltz. Yep. I've been using them as and when I have, you know, any income, but they have some great stuff. The only thing that I'm a little bit disappointed by is when they commission artwork that's new. I'm like, I actually just want the movie poster, but I don't know if you can see. So like <gasps> oh, these yeah. three shelves, they're all, Oh no, these three shelves are all, horror movie scores. So the recent one that I rebought was Death Smiles on a Murderer. You know that? No. Old horror movie. That looks it's amazing. Like, oh, it's really cool. I love it. And I have like Tourist Trap and um, Spasmo and Lizard in a Woman's Skin and all these kind of movies. Like I love listening to the scores and they've done a really good job pressing them. They sound fantastic. You, you've done something really unique with uh, the f- upcoming Fun City release and you've got some spectacular things like there's a Fun City Rubik's Cube <laughs> with the album art, <laughs> yeah. a pink cassette so, version, all these cool things. Yeah, I actually made the Rubik's, Rubik's Cube because I'm obsessed with Hellraiser. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, so nice. I, I, I was like, I have to have that. As soon as I saw that it was an option with my merch guys, I was like, okay, here we go. We're having that and um, I post because I, I just did for there's a magazine called the line of best fit and they needed people to do uh 30 minute live takeovers when quarantine started and i was like is it weird if i just do like 30 minutes of my favorite horror movie scores they're like no amazing so i called it we have such songs to show you oh that's Um, amazing (laughs) and i kind of did the hellraiser box as like the image and i'm like oh my god i can make one and so it's like getting my little horror references in whenever i can is uh it makes me very happy. That's so fun. The Boo Crew will be right back. Hellraiser. Beyond any terror you have imagined. A nightmare. No. Unlike anything you have witnessed. Is born. Because within these walls... The unholy is unleashed. What's your favorite Hellraiser movie? Oh, oh, two or three. Two is, I think, objectively the best one. Three is such trash. I love it because somebody has a CD in his head. Yes. I'm an audiophile. <laughs> yeah. so That's one with all the one. different fun Cenobites. I love that. And uh, the score on the second one is it, it probably my favorite. Christopher Young's. It's so oh, epic. It's, so on that one. it's really good. I just bought the first three soundtracks on vinyl as well. They're just, they're really amazing. I think Waxwork released, Waxwork on Mondo. I forget which one uh, issued them all on, on vinyl again. And, um, Oh, they're just so gorgeous, you know, so dramatic. My neighbors are like, why? What is this like insane music, like piping for the building? <laughs> and we also have like really odd, like lime green um, stairwell with like fake flowers and weird art, quote unquote. So it does feel like you're in an Argento movie, like as you walk into the building, which is of course why I moved in. <laughs> um, it's everything about my life is just, is very queer. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I was reading something actually about Christopher Young's score for Hellraiser 2 that he incorporated the Morse code for the word God throughout the score, which is one of those subconscious things that is so creepy and amazing. I love it. I love (laughs) it. It's fantastic. Yeah. Being a fan of uh, Clyde Barker's work, I was wondering if you ever crossed paths with him. I have not. I think that a few of my friends might have. So um, one of my friends, Tyler Jensen, just did the documentary Screen Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. Fantastic. which is yes. fantastic. So one of my songs is in that actually. Um, and he has been doing the festival circuits, you know, promoting that, that release. 
And I think that he's met Clive Barker once or twice, much to my, you know, in, insane jealousy. It's just like his work is just so, so brilliant. And apparently he's really nice. So, you know, that's, that's good to know, right? That's amazing to know. Another person yeah, who yeah. I wanted to know if you had a run in with is someone you mentioned earlier. So Blade Runner 2049. I know you were on Graham Norton's show in 2016 and Ryan Gosling was the guest on that show. Did you get a chance to meet Ryan Gosling? Yeah. So like before you go live, it was like, it was the wildest moment of my absolute life. It was just like sat on a sofa or like, you know, waiting to go on screen. And it's like me, Elton John, Ryan Gosling, Russell Crowe, Jodie fucking Foster, like in this corridor and I'm just like, I, I feel like I can hear the aliens. I feel like I'm a, I'm a sort of like Terminator or Blade Runner. And I feel like I'm in like LA. This is wild. I don't know what is happening in my tiny skull. Like my skull was like exploding. You have to act like really cool and just be like, oh yeah. Hi, Russell Crowe. Hi, how are you? Hi, Jodie Foster. Really lovely to meet you. And you're just like, what? It was just an insane moment. And I hadn't seen Blade Runner at that point, I don't think. Um, I don't think it was out yet. Was yeah, it, I don't like, think so um, at that point, yeah. And, you know, I really like Ryan Gosling's acting. I, I think he's an, in- an incredible actor, but that is my favorite film of his. And I'm really glad that I didn't see that before meeting him because I would have just been like, what? Right. Like, it's, <laughs> it's so good. You know, Ryan Gosling's music is fantastic phenomenal oh, he amazing and and what's what's crazy about this is he's got one album right mm-hmm. and it's an all horror inspired album oh it's called dead man's bones mm-hmm. and it's himself and his friend zach shields backed by a children's choir all dressed oh, God, up in halloween costumes and every song sounds like almost like a haunted arcade fire. It's very wow. well okay. done. Yeah. Look that up. I think you're going to be into it. I'm going to look that up immediately. Yeah. Dead well, man's bones. You know, after we finish talking. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, you have a tendency to lean into those chord changes and melodies on your music, like we were talking, that are epic and that, that make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, which is also very evident in your choice of covers, like your version of Bjork's New World from the Lars von Trier movie, Dance in the Dark. Oh my God, it's, you did such a phenomenal job on that. Thank you. That movie is just, oh, it's so, it's, it's, it's so much more than a lot, isn't right? it? <laughs> when you're writing your own stuff, how do you find you can take yourself to that point? That point where you give the listener chills, where the hairs on the back of our neck stand up. How do you achieve those melodic shifts? What informs those decisions for you while you're writing? Honestly, I think it's kind of pure accident. Um, I kind of know where I'm going to a point with the songs, but the, the, the songs that eventually do have that effect, I think is when you, when I stop thinking about it, there's like a couple that people have like identified that do that kind of thing. And they really weren't ones that I consciously tried to do that with, but it's, you just kind of get a bit lost in things. And like, sometimes I start with a piano part or like a beat or something like that. And then I layer and layer and layer and then I prune back. And sometimes you like play a wrong note and it just like does something discordant that kind of adds that like extra texture. So like a lot of the scores that I love is where you have like the melody, but then the chords underneath it do something unexpected or you have like these blue notes or these like weird discordant phrases in horror scores where it changes something for being quite positive into like really macabre. And I've been trying to work on that in the music and a lot of the time it really is just by accident. So I don't compose with sheet music. I improvise and I'll just have something on loop and I'll play something underneath it. And then it will do that. And it's like, Oh wow. Okay. I hope I remember <laughs> how I did that. I, a lot of that stuff is, it's kind of like to me, how I imagine it is when you get actors to do a take over and over again, and they just happen to deliver the line in a slightly different way. And it changes the, the meaning of the the scene or something, you know, yeah, that like it's magic. Like a good scene to, it's really magic. Yeah, yeah. I know you, you, that you grew up playing acoustic instruments such as a guitar and a piano. I want you to talk about the uh, transition from acoustic instruments uh, busking in the streets of the UK to electronic synth pop music that you're doing today. Well, very simply, I had more money, so <laughs> <laughs> it's. I, I'd always been really intrigued by like 
production. And, you know, when I was growing up, I wasn't, I, I started out doing like folk cleaning, singer songwriting music simply because I didn't really have the equipment to make electronic stuff. But I was listening to like, you know, shitty dance music at home and, uh, and electronic stuff. And I was really inspired by Tori Amos's uh, <gasps> album. You, are you a Tori Amos fan? Oh my fan? God, I love massive Tori oh, wait, fan. I'm going to show you something in the studio. Oh yeah, go yeah. get it, go yes, get it. Me. Some albums, some special Tori albums. I don't know if you can see oh, that. Oh yes, that's amazing. There's a couple really of these amazing. like etched oak boxes that... They're not like the, the live bootlegs, are they? That's not what no, they are? No. They're the official albums. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're really something cool. Oh, I love Tavina's and that. You should make something like this. It was so <laughs> yeah, packaging. Oh my god! I think, I think she might have a little bit more money than me. Um, <laughs> yes. Corey. So, um, from the Guayaquil Hotel was the album that inspired me to make electronic music because I saw how she combined songwriting from coming from like a sort of organic perspective into an electronic world, and um, I really thought about how I could translate that into what I did and so like after I was busking on the subway I was saving up for equipment and found like a, 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 actually this keyboard I have right behind me this Juno G yeah a Roland one um, and then played around with the sounds and then became friends with this guy called James Ewell who taught me how to use Ableton basically and uh, just worked really really hard until I learned how to get to a point where I could do electronic production so I make sure there's always something organic in the mix. Like there's acoustic guitars, there's piano. I have an upright in there as well. And uh, I play flute and saxophone and ukulele and stuff like that. But it was really working out what kind of electronic sounds I wanted to create and then just sitting down and really learning how to make them. Uh, it, was, it was a long process. It took a while, you know. I'm not really musically trained and I don't have the wherewithal of like a lot of the super producers who could just do things in a heartbeat. It takes me a little while to get there. Um, but I, I do quite enjoy the journey. So <laughs> is that a lot of what uh, your songwriting has kind of become? Is it born out of experimentation with different synth pads and emulators now and, and just sitting yeah. and playing? Yeah. Um, so the last one choreography was very eighties influenced. And then this one is sort of a mixture of, of influences really. So it's influenced by stuff like, LGBTQ artists from like Bessie Smith, for example, you know, up until Hercules and Love Affair and like that wide range of like organic jazz to like, you know, harder house. But it's a more like diverse record, I guess. It's not so 80s focused, uh, but it's obviously got its little leanings to like the, the noir films that have shaped me along the way. And one of the closing track on it is really inspired by a film called Corel. I don't know if you know that film. It's like a Andy Warhol styled film about just like gay gay sex and uh and murder but it's 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 like really like a smoky kind of score based on like a seafront with like these gorgeous like sunset tones and um that really influenced uh the last song and it also ties in with like the scores that i love like blowout and pino Danaggio's work with which is like sultry and um organic but also like kind of terrifying and really sad do you find yourself leaning towards a particular synth pad or anything in particular when you're when you're writing that you like? I have um I have like plugins. A lot of music people roll in eyes at that, you know, rather than having like analog stuff. But I literally just cannot be bothered to have twenty different keyboards around with them until I die. You don't need to now, um, right? No, you don't. So I have I use native instruments a lot and they have some cool sounds that you can modify on there and I have for each record, I tend to have some presets that I put in on most songs. Like the bass sound will be fairly consistent so that it sounds like a whole record. And the string sounds will have the same kind of treatment. And the BVs, I'll use the same kind of effects so that it sounds like the album has a narrative. And then the lead sounds, I'll change them between each. I had read that Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion is one of your favorite films. It's one of mine. If you could keep any prop from that movie, what would you keep? I think about this all the time. Uh, oh my God. Maybe Sandy Frank's new face. <laughs> yes, that would be amazing. I just, oh all the dresses. Yeah. I love all the dresses. They're so amazing. Oh. 
The yeah, post-its. it's an incredible movie. Yeah, so I have um, the other side. I have my Romy Michelle poster there. Oh, the there wall. we go! Yay! Yeah, I was actually wearing my Romy Michelle vest before I changed into something more horror appropriate for this call. <laughs> um, I, I love that movie so much. It gives me so much joy. It's the fact that like every single character is just a raging asshole and you really love them all. Like they're all such terrible people. <laughs> yes, they are. Have you seen Knives Out? Uh, yeah, I, I actually really love Knives Out. Oh my gosh, we just got the vinyl. It's amazing. Yeah, oh my God, the soundtrack is great. insane for Knives Out. The soundtrack out. is so really great, yeah. Yeah, I love that movie much more than I thought I would, actually. Yeah, um, so did we. There's something about like that big ensemble cast that it's just so warm and it feels like home. We watch it like probably maybe once a week almost, right? At least yeah. in parts. Mm. It's just got this weird vibe to it that we love. Did you like, uh, did you like Ready or Not? <gasps> Loved oh Ready God. or Not. Oh, yes. That was yes. my favorite of last year. Yes. Yes. Those movies I, are like cousins uh, yes. in, a, in a way, right? Yeah. Ready or Not and Knives Out. Oh, yeah, I think so I would have loved Knives Out more if I hadn't seen Ready or Not before. Interesting, yeah. Um, but Ready or Not, I'm obsessed with. And like at my, so I do, you know, these Romy Michelle tea parties like every week. And I played the Hide and Seek song. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that song is spectacular, by the way, it's how they so made good. that sound like something out of the 30s oh, or 40s. amazing. Yeah, it's that so is so great. awesome. Did you, uh, Mira Servino? gave an interview recently where she told her ideas for a Romeo and Michelle sequel because her and Lisa Kudrow want to do a sequel. Mm-hmm. And it was like, they want to do, it could either be a movie or a TV series. Oh my God, and I'll take whatever. They, they want to have like one of them inherit like a niece or something. Like, you know, like bring a younger cast yeah. in mm-hmm. that they interact with to kind of keep it in attract younger audience. Oh It'd my be gosh, so good. someone needs to make that. Yeah, I think you know, I, I, the way that content is being created these days, I don't think it's a far fetched uh, concept. What did to think we about. recently yeah. see, Mira? Mira she was in Hollywood. Oh, I love Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah, that, she's Hollywood? a fantastic actor. She's you know, she's so like. Good. She's so much better than time remembers her for. Mm. Like even, you know, I'm, I know Woody Allen is like a moot point at the moment, but Mighty Aphrodite, she's just mind-blowingly good in that film. Her, her vocal acting is just really just absolutely rip-roaringly hilarious. I just can't cope. She's amazing. Yeah, she's she's insane. Yeah, that show, Hollywood, just got a, nominated for like a gang of Emmys. And that's got Samara in it. From Ready or Oh yeah, Ready yeah, Samara Weaving from Ready or Not, The Bride. Oh, yeah, That's yeah. Right. I, uh, she's fantastic too. She, like the babysitter was great. She's a she's oh, got yeah, she's gonna be so good. I wanted to talk about the uh, this was my house video, right? One of the first singles from Fun City, and it was as you said, it was directed by Tyler Jensen, the co-director of Scream Queen. So what was it like working on that video, working with him, and where the hell did you get that massive, awesome pink telephone? <laughs> so the pink telephone is uh it's from a, an old game called dream phone oh my gosh yeah. the 80s 90s and we also used it as a freddy krueger reference you know the little I, I, we were trying to work out how we could get a tongue to come out but we didn't, <laughs> didn't make that happen tyler's great tyler is a friend of mine i've known him for like five or six years now and because we have the same touchstones when it comes to movies and horror films, especially in 80s and 90s. So like the, the concept of the record is it's called Fun City. And it's basically about how LGBTQ plus people have to try and survive, thrive and create in times of uh, adversity. So it's kind of like touching in with things like um, Escape from New York and like the Warriors and other like dystopic films, because you know, spoiler alert, like people try and kill LGBTQ plus people all the time. And the idea of like living in a city, which on paper has everything you want from it, has opportunities, has diversity, has like, you know, nightlife, it has like a thriving, vibrant scene, but there are still so many things in place that are like out to get you left, right and center. And because we both love the idea of like these dystopian horror movies and these like that kind of like, neon stark like 80s nightmares of those places um like body double or you know those kind of films he's like the perfect person to work with on this record for me i wanted it to be like horror movie referencing but with without like without being bleak i wanted it to be still kind of fun so we planned we'd actually planned way more videos but we don't 
obviously get to do them now because of, of shutdown. So we did those, those two videos. I used to be cool and this was my house and just thought we wanted to do something which showed all the people that work and live in New York just kind of doing their thing and invited people to come down and be part of the video. And uh, it was just really awesome, like really fun. Everybody was so great, had such good energy and were just like hilarious and like off the, off the bat, like up for it going wild, like voguing at 10 o'clock in the morning in the subway. Police came and moved us on, you know, they were like, oh, it's cool, you just can't be here. And we're like, cool, police, okay, awesome. Right, we'll, <laughs> we'll go along and like running around New York. It was, it was a lot of fun. That is so awesome. And you collaborated with Madonna's backup team, right? Nikki Harris and, and Donna Delory, right? Donna Delory, yeah. So I wrote the song when I, I had a drink with a friend and he told me, I'm like not to be political, you know, I mean, of course everything is. Basically his mom voted for Trump and he's a gay man. So he was trying to explain to her how that goes against his human rights. And she still voted for him. And I walked away from that conversation just feeling so sad. And on the walk home, I wrote the song in my head. So I kept walking around for like an extra five minutes and I improvised it and I sang it into my phone. And I came home and I just put it into my laptop and set it up to a click beat. I was trying to work on production. And then I heard a remix that initial talk the producer had done. And he just does all of these like throwback 80s, 90s remixes, making everything sound like Jam and Lewis. And I'm like, so like, I sent it to him. He sent it back. And I was like, fuck, this is awesome. And then I'd been in touch with Nikki's manager or like social media manager or something to do something together and I thought like because they were such iconic voices in a pivotal moment of like 90s dance music with like Shep Pettibone and with Madonna and like HIV awareness and touring and like gay identity why not send the track to them and they loved it and they came back and they sang on it and I was just like that's mad I didn't expect that to happen at all so it was a really nice weird synergy you know like that's crazy and then their voices are just so fab. Oh, I, I can't! I can't wait to see what the rest of this album has in store. I mean, you've obviously heard it and lived with it for so long, but no, no one else has the opportunity to. And I just, I can't wait. Now, in terms of that, what is the experience, or what has the experience been like of preparing to release an album during? Something that's never happened during our lifetime, right? This insane yeah. pandemic, where the live experience is up in the air, or perhaps altered in some way, like. What is that like and how does that feel as an artist? It feels very strange, honestly. Weirdly, Tyler and I have been talking about it a lot because he was, I'm so pleased for him that his film came out last year and not this year so that he actually got to do the festival circuits and go and travel with a movie and show it to people and people could see it across the world. Other friends of mine have made a film called Death Drop Gorgeous, which comes out, it, well, it's just, it premiered like the other day. It's a horror movie based in uh, Rhode Island, it's great. Like I've done two songs for that as well, but all of their festivals are canceled this year, you know, so they don't get to do the same thing. And even more so, I think in movies, that's really debilitating because so much of it is based on like watching people turn up, getting distribution deals after you see the response and like letting people get excited about it and showing it real time. And then for me, you know, when the quarantine was kind of announced, I lost like, $15,000 worth of shows overnight and a whole like six months of shows were canceled. Now, potentially I might be able to go on the road like next March, but I'm not going to get to tour my record. And the whole album is focused on the queer community. And I'd been planning a year and a half to go and do like local outreach and work with local queer talent across America and the UK and get them on board, amplify their voices, work with charities, work with like DJs, drag performers, hosts, local talent and sort of use that as like outreach for highlighting talent, which I don't, I won't get to do now. Hopefully I can still do that at some extent next year, but like the message of the album was really ingrained in being able to do that this year, which is really disappointing. So that's been a, a bit of a slump in terms of, you know, how I planned the album to come out. Everyone's in the same situation to a point so I'm glad that the album is still coming out in September and we're doing our best to do the gradual release and whatever. But, you know, if you're independent, I'm sure like you have friends who make independent films or independent music. Cutting through the noise of 
the like Dua Lipas and the Lady Gagas and the five or six other people who just have instant widespread wildfire whenever they put a song out, like Robin or whatever. They're all great artists, but you can't compete with them. The minute they have a song out, it's literally all anybody is talking about online for like a week, two weeks. And if you're an independent person with like, you know, less than 1% of the, the marketing budget that they have, there's really no way to get your stuff heard. And it's really difficult. And it's also really difficult to earn anything from it. So it's a very weird time to be releasing music. On one hand, it's great because people are looking for new stuff to listen to. And at least I can still put it out. But, you know, even down to stuff like independent record stores, I don't know if they're going to be open properly when the album comes out. And part of the joy is like watching people go to a store and pick it up. Like I go to my local stores and buy records. And that's we made a big point of doing like an exclusive colored version for independent record stores to like keep business for them or drive people to them. And I don't know if that's even something that's really going to happen now. It's, it's very weird. And like trying to rethink an entire campaign, like on the fly when things are changing day by day, it's really confusing. Yeah. There really is no one size fits all solution for really no. anything right now when no. you don't even know if the, the restaurant down yeah. the street's going to be open, you know, more, nevertheless, yeah. a theater or a record yeah. store, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's a strange time. Um, you know, like we, I had like shows that were meant to be happening in June, which then got pushed to October, which now, you know, hopefully like March next year, but already one of those venues is closed. So you're like, well, that's one that's gone out of 10. That's, that's a big ratio really. And then thinking about how many other places will still be open come March after they've had no earning for a year. I have no idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the shining light in all of that is a little bit of what you said earlier is that there is kind of like a pedestal and spotlight put on indie creators and people able to put out content on their own right now and not and kind of be able to bypass a larger system because people are sitting around starving for content be it film or music so that's mm-hmm. that's also the the flip side of the coin and the the alternate of it i know in as far as cinema my goodness there's been so many indie horror films especially just mm. coming out almost yeah. weekly now it's like it's crazy. it's almost overwhelming yeah, I think that's a trend that'll continue as the the larger systems run out of their back catalog of things, you know, be it the same with music as well, you know. Watching TV shows have no more episodes is a really strange thing. <laughs> right. Like in the UK, right. there was like EastEnders, which has been on for like two and a half thousand years and they ran out of episodes and it was like, oh my God, what? Right. <laughs> Absolutely oh, wild. I just want to say, I love that with your pre-order, you're sending out what a thousand Polaroids that you sign. Yeah. How long yeah. did that take? To uh, three days. <laughs> Wow. Uh, wow. Pretty much. Yeah. It took a long time to like take them all. Cause you think like each one is about like a minute really. Yeah. And then you have to like sign them. And then I had to like put them in boxes ready to go. It took a really, really long time. It was meant to be like 200 or something like that. And then the pre-orders just start, kept coming in. It was like, Oh shit. Well, I, those <laughs> yeah, ones as well. I wish I didn't then, <laughs> promise yeah, that <laughs> went from 200 to a thousand. It was just like, yeah, that, it was a very weird couple of days. I just felt like insane. Like one of those like millennials just like taking selfies. Yeah. Like, well, like, like a Monday <laughs> outfit, a Tuesday outfit, a Wednesday out, or they yeah. all look the same. <clears throat> I think I did a different outfit every 100. Oh, um, cool. Or maybe every 200. I, I lo- honestly lost track by the end because like with quarantine as well, I don't really know what day it is. Yeah. yeah. Like sometimes even who I am. Um, <laughs> so right. Right. <laughs> there, there, were, there were a few different outfits. I think there was probably like one facial expression because I was just so like zoned out <laughs> doing them towards the end. <laughs> There's a horror film on that somewhere. Oh, yeah. I, I did think about, you know, that um, old idea that like every time you have a photo taken it steals a piece of your soul (laughs) i was like well there you go (laughs) since horror is just thriving in these uh challenging times would you like to throw your hat in the ring and score a horror movie and if so what type of horror movie would you like to compose music to 
Yes, I am desperate to compose the score for a horror movie. I've been trying to get into scoring movies for like three years, honestly. I'm desperate, 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 desperate to score a horror film. So the first thing that I did on that kind of tip was I did like the theme music to a Talking Heads series for the BBC for the UK. Um, but it was just a theme tune, so it wasn't enough, you know. And then I did two songs for that Death Drop Gorgeous movie, which comes out. You should keep an eye on it. I think you're going to love it. It's absolutely absurd. And I've been making fake scores to, to imaginary films um, in quarantine. So I've been doing scores and, yeah, just like imagining horror films and like fabulous women that I would love these little pieces of music to, to soundtrack. I watched a film called Blood and Roses the other night. Have you seen that movie? Yes. Oh, it's so good. So uh, as soon as I finished watching that, I had like, I don't know, demons took control of me and I came to my piano and like, I, I just like improvised this score and I actually really liked it. So my dream is to score a horror movie, ideally something in the world of, oh, on one hand, something like Ready or Not, or something akin to like an Argento movie or like the In Fabric movie that came out, actually. I think the tone and pace of that and the build is exactly what I want to be doing. Something like it's a bit campy and fun with like a bitch, a, a protagonist that you're not really sure if you like and like fashions and interiors, you know, like I would love to write the, the score for that. When you walk into that decadent room and you're like looking around, you're like, oh, I really want to live that. I want to have written that piece of music. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, man, I'm a huge interior person too. Whenever yeah. like, again, like movies like Ready or Not or Knives Out, just based yeah. on interiors alone, you just want to live inside the film. You, you know? do. Like, I think my favorite Argento movie is uh, Inferno, mm -hmm. just because the building yes. in New York is just so incredible. Like, the woman's apartment, I can't remember the woman, the actress who's in a lot of his other films, The Redhead. When you go into her actual apartment, it's just this, like, just stunning apartment. You know, like, heads up, people in New York don't live in places like that. It's so gorgeous. I love it. What was that other movie we saw that the couple who lived in New York on that upper floor and it was like it had multiple floors. It was all heart hand carved wood. You had us watch it. Audrey Rose. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Just yes. Audrey Rose? What have you discovered so far from your pretend scores that you've been working on, your imaginary ones? That is kind of your signature style. Are you someone who composes scores that are more song like in structure or do they have those abstract moments? kind of ebb and flow with picking, you know what I mean? Is it yeah, motifs or, or sound design? It's motifs. Yeah. Mm. So I have like, I guess a song structure ish, but like not so much verse chorus, but like parts that like build and then fall and then build up again. And like a little bit of repetition, but like amendments. So like it, it would be the same as like, if you have a chorus, but each time the chorus had different lyrics. So I'm trying to sort of like use different instrumentation as the song goes on that might like repeat the melody, but it'll be a different voice that does it. So it kind of introduces different characters to the piece. So like changes the mood a little bit. And I'm playing around with the ideas of, you know, the motif. So like reworking the melody from one piece into something slower or faster for another one. I'm, I'm sure it's like really not helping my career whatsoever. And I should be doing something much more useful to the actual album, but I'm like, Whatever. No, this is amazing. We pretending can't. to write a song about like a woman with like red glasses at a typewriter or like, you know, just all of these insane things that I'm coming up with. There are so many people who want to hear that from you, though. It'd be so awesome. Keep doing it, man. We are yeah, stoked. Yeah, I, I will. <laughs> yeah it, it'll, it'll come. I think and even if I don't manage to get to use these for something, I might like do a, a little release next year or something. Just like press a little vinyl and make this fake, you know fake movie or maybe i can trick someone into making a film for me one of these budding indie producers who are doing all of a zoom right I mean, exactly like <laughs> someone out there who wants to be a bitch there you go <laughs> or like desperate to be the first death you know <laughs> since you mentioned argento's inferno did you complete watching the trilogy uh, between suspiria inferno and then the mother of tears i haven't seen mother of tears does that have a different name that's not no i haven't seen mother of tears so the ones that i love of his i love Deep Red, I love Suspiria, I love Inferno, but my favorite is actually Phenomena. That's my favorite of his. Yeah, you know, The Mother of Tears completes the, th the trilogy of the Three Mothers story of the witches. Yeah. 
I don't, I don't know why I haven't seen that one. It's a lot more modern, isn't it? It is, yes. Mm. I do struggle with modern films. I struggle with modern music. I struggle with modern everything, mm. honestly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Modern prices as well. Um, yeah, right. yeah I, <laughs> right. I, should, I should make a point of watching that. Maybe I'll watch that tonight. Dude, thank you again so much for doing this. We really no, have thanks, a great time with Thanks you. for having me. Like, anytime I get to talk about horror movies, it's so much more fun than just talking about, like, what are you doing with your album? Right. And, like, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to talk about music, but it's also nice to talk about the stuff that, like, influences the world of the music, which I don't, I don't always get to talk about. And I don't, don't get to talk about horror movies as much as I, I want to ever. So that was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 157. Special thanks to our guest, Bright Light, Bright Light. Follow him at Bright Light X2 on Instagram and Twitter. And at time of release, get the new album, Fun City, available everywhere Friday. Music for this episode from Bright Light, Bright Light. Production tracks provided by Power Man 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! A Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.